everybody. I am Jennifer Youngblood, and I'm one of the associate pastors here. I am in seminary classes, and I have five, six classes left from the district and five for my certificate. And so this time on this six-week course, I am doing preaching the story of God. So I get to write a sermon. And Mr. Pastor Paul graciously allowed me to preach today to fulfill my requirement. But preaching is what I'm called to do, and preaching is what I love. So I'm excited, and I was even more excited because my friends came, and of course my family, and even some people from Simmons, because I went around telling everybody. Everybody knows my business, and if you know young bloods, that's kind of how we work. So, and what's funny, I laughed. I think somebody told the professor in advance that I can be a little long-winded, so he gave us a time requirement, which is great for Super Bowl Sunday. Because, like, I've got to cut it off at 25 minutes. So if you see somebody jumping wildly, it's because I'm approaching my 25-minute time limit. It does not count the song at the end. So don't start yelling at me and flapping your wings because i got a few extra minutes. But um, Pastor Paul did mention that we are taking the love offering for Care Portal. It is one of our church's outreach missions here in Emporia. And we get needs from DCF and from the school system and such and they put them on the care portal. And one that really touched my heart was this homeless family, um, a mom, a single mom, trying to struggle with her 12-year-old. So it, there's still time to give. If over the course of the rest of the sermon, um, what our old district superintendent used to say, you know, grab the wallet of the guy next to you and give generously. You know, so it's not too sneaky if it's for the Lord, right? Okay, there's gotta be some sort of extra pardon for that. But if you feel led, um, there are offering envelopes, and you just write love offering. And I'm, I just think, man, how much did I spend on snacks for the Super Bowl today? And I've got a place to live. You know, how much do I spend on getting my daughter scooters before school every day? Okay, so I can throw five bucks towards a homeless lady, you know. So if you feel led to give, that's what, that's what he was referring to. And we will help these people get. It's really expensive to go week to week to a hotel. It's like $250 for a really terrible cheap single room and I'm like man in a month you could have paid almost a deposit in a and first month's rent how are you going to do that when you're also paying out a thousand dollars to not live in your car so that's what that will go to so I love y'all I'm gonna start my time limit so I better get going so first I want to start with a quick prayer God I thank you for this day for this time together spent worshiping you we invite your Holy Spirit to come Calm our hearts and our minds. Help us focus on the word that you have for each, every one of us today. Anoint my lips so that the message is your message, not mine, that every word may be pleasing to you. Help us to choose to follow you, loving you more every day. And help us to know that we are loved by you. Amen. So, it's Valentine's, it's almost Ash Wednesday. And the sermon for today kind of takes a different turn at the beginning. So in preparing for my sermon, I was thinking, what would I choose my final words to be? I have a pretty good imagination, you know, like wildly coyote, all that kind of stuff happens in my brain. But if I knew I was about to die and I had this dramatic scene, right, I'm laid out on the, the sofa, would I, want my, I would want my friends, my family, my loved ones to gather around and would I dramatically hand them the list of my passwords? right? Would I eagerly search for somebody to come adopt our poor guinea pig, Charlie, so that he doesn't starve to death? 
when I get on Amazon and set up some subscriptions, okay, we need toilet paper delivered so many times and I need laundry soap because my kids are not going to know when this stuff comes. It just magically appears, right? In my final moments, what will I focus on in this big dramatic scene before I fade out, right? But what about you? You know, any time that we are faced with death, I mean, we face with circumstances, we see prayer requests, we go to a funeral, a close family member gets a diagnosis, maybe we do. We're left to think about all the things we have left to accomplish. What have I done? What have I, what have I done for the Lord? What have I done for life? What do I have in my bank account? What, what, what else do I need to accomplish? What are the things that I've left unsaid? What are the grudges I'm carrying around? The people I haven't told that I forgive? The people maybe I've been holding back a little bit of love from to try to prove a point. But when I think of the time when we have all of our loved ones gathered around us, I think some of us will smile with joy, thinking of all the loved ones we're going to get to see in heaven, those people we can't wait to be reunited with. And maybe perhaps we'll be very sad and we'll mourn, thinking about the loved ones that have yet to come to know Jesus. Thinking of the people that we may not see there. And I think we'll spend our final moments in our hearts, in our minds, really burdened with making sure that we let our family and our loved ones know how much we love them. And even more important, how much the Lord loves them. So Pastor Paul has been doing this sermon series, Thy Will Be Done, and he's been leading us to focus on our relationship and growing our relationship deeper with Christ through the different spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and Bible study and tithing and worship. And this week, we're going to kind of wrap this up looking once again at prayer. So how can we pray like Jesus is kind of our focus today in our scripture. As followers of, followers of Jesus, we want to be more like him. We want our thoughts and our actions and our prayers to be more and more Christ-like all the time. So today's scripture, if you want to turn, is John 17, 20 through 26. You can turn there in your Bible if you'd like. Geraldo will provide the verses up on the screen. I like to read along because I like it to be the same version. So to set up this scene before we read it, John, who's writing this passage, one of Jesus' first 12 disciples, is writing about the Last Supper. We've probably all heard about the Last Supper. We've seen da Vinci's famous painting, right, showing Jesus sharing the Passover meal with his disciples. And maybe we picture in our heads Jesus performing the first communion service, the passing of the cup and the bread. John's account differs from some of the other gospel accounts. He focuses mainly on Jesus' final teachings and his instructions. He doesn't even write about the first communion service. He doesn't call out Judas as the friend who betrays Jesus. He doesn't mention some of these details that the other gospel does. Instead, he chooses to focus on what, what are Jesus' last words. So John 17 gives us the last words at the conclusion of the Last Supper before Jesus prays and goes to Gethsemane. Jesus prays for three things in this letter, and two of them are in sections that we're not going to focus on, but I just wanted to fill you in on the entire prayer. So first, he prays for God's glory to be shown in him. He says, hey, Lord, I want, I want my glory to shine because I want people to know who I am so they know who you are. The second part of the prayer, he prays over his disciples. He gives thanks for them. He says, Lord, please keep them safe spiritually, physically. Jesus knows what's coming. 
He knows the terror that they're going to have to witness. And he says, please watch over them. And then in the verses that we're studying today, he prays for all future believers, which I find amazing because that's you. That's me. Sometimes in the Bible, we're like, oh, that's a great history book. Yeah, these are, these are ni- nice words. I'll dust mine off because I haven't used it in a while, you know. And, uh, you know, we'll blow out the pages and we'll think, well, that's, that's a great recorded history. But this is where you and I connect in the Bible. Jesus is praying for us, each and every one of us. And when it says all, all future believers, it just makes my heart happy, right? Jesus knows that the cross is coming. This is Jesus' last day on earth as a man. And he spends his moment praying that you and I and all future believers will come to know God's love for them. So if we look in the scripture, John, it's about two-thirds way through the Bible. I love, if you don't know, if you're new to the Bible, John is kind of like the theater that you're going to. 17 is kind of like your row. And 20 is the verse. It's kind of like your seat in the theater. So we have John, and it'll have the big number, 17, the smaller numbers are our verses. So Jesus' prayer for all believers. In verse 20, it starts. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as you are one and we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be where I am, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I made, them know, I made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself, I myself may be in them. So when Pastor Paul gave me this scripture passage for today's message, to be honest, I didn't just automatically flash to, oh yeah, John 17, that's the high priestly prayer. Oh yeah, I know that. No, and then when I read it, I kind of had to read it and reread it. It's kind of a tongue twister. Right? With all those I and you's, you and them, we and us. Oh, my goodness. It takes a minute to kind of journey through that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to journey through this scripture today and kind of untwist the tongue twister. So we start in verse 20. Verse 20, where Jesus is praying over. So I have a little picture up here. This is kind of the background. It was custom in ancient times for the father, the patriarch of the family, to bless his oldest the one who was going to inherit everything, would get the blessing upon the father's deathbed. So that's like my dramatic scene. I've got to give my last words. I'm going to give my last blessing. Jesus spent his precious last words praying blessings over his children whom he loves. And I use the term children because the Bible assures each and every one of us that when we believe, we automatically become sons and daughters of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We receive this inheritance. He's praying these blessings over us. We get all the glories of God, all the gifts of God, his power, his love, his forgiveness. We're no longer separated from the holy, perfect, sinless God, our Father. You know, God created a perfect world, and he put man into that. Why? 
yes, to worship and honor God, but more importantly, to have a relationship with God, to spend time. God wanted to spend time walking and talking with Adam in the garden. I think we forget that. He wants a relationship with us. It's not some ego trip, you need to praise and worship me because I am all-powerful and all-knowing. He's not the evil genie. No, he's the one that loves us and cannot help to want to have a relationship with us. He wants to bring us back. He wants you to know that you were loved. Right? We're lucky and we're privileged that we get to be back with God. And we should want to respond with love, with praise and thanksgiving for this relationship. So I want you to think kind of in, in more normal terms, like think of somebody that you deeply admire, right? That celebrity maybe you have a crush on, maybe as a, as a teenager you had their poster up in your room. We all know, I'm not going to say whose it was, right? So in honor of the Super Bowl, go Chiefs, nobody else in this preaching class understands that I get to preach on Super Bowl Sunday for the Chiefs. So excuse, you'll have to suffer through the Chiefs things if you aren't a Chiefs fan. Or you get to enjoy it, either way. And of course, Taylor Swift for my girls. They're little Swifties. So if you ran into Mahomes or Taylor or Travis Kelsey, you might act like a little bit of an idiot, right? Just a little, right? You might get a little starstruck seeing your dream person. You might stamper just a little bit, maybe a lot bit. You probably might not even know what to say. Right? So fill in the blank with whatever your dream person and think of how stupid you would seem. Right? Now imagine being face to face with God. That'll blow away your poster. <laughs> That'll blow away your celebrity crush. Right? In verse 20, Jesus is telling us, he's giving us his final blessing. Jesus and God hold nothing back. Not their love, not their goodness, not their desire to be in relationship. For all who believe you and I included, extended to all mankind, past and present. As believers, we get to come face to face with God Almighty. So when, you know, Jesus, we're here for praise and worship. What do you think we're going to do when we see God Almighty? How can we not help but praise and worship? Verse 21. You know, the goal of this blessing has two parts. So, he talks about all being one, all being unified, one in the body of Christ. So instantly, of course, my mind flew to, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be one united church because we do need each other. But more than just besties sharing a Scooter's coffee, going to Brahms together, we're to be together as one like Christ is one with the church. I say it a lot. If you know me, you've heard it. We're not meant to do life alone. Right? The enemy of our souls, the devil, fuels this idea of this modern, industrialized, private society where culture tells you, you have to do it yourself, go out, take it, be independent, prove to the world that you've got the goods, can't depend on anybody. But Jesus, he tells us the truth, that we need each other. We survive, we grow, we thrive best when we're in a group. We need Jesus to guide us in this group because isolation kills. When you're alone at night in the dark and you replay all the bad things that happened that day or your thoughts that are going, isolation kills. So together, you know, it's, it's when we're thinking that we're unloved or unlovable, it's a lie. It's a lie straight from the devil. And Jesus wants you to know 
that you are loved and you're better off together as the church. So second, and even more important than just the community of believers, is being one reunited with Jesus and with God. So Jesus' motivation in this impending death is that we can come back and be with the triune God, that all of us may be one, Father, just as you were one in me and I am in you. So, of course, for Valentine's Day, and you, it's a famous you know, Christmas scripture, John 3.16, right? Everybody knows it, most people. Verses 16 and 17, most of you heard it. Most of you can say it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. What sin destroyed and broke in our relationship with God Christ's sacrifices repairs that break. And so when God is talking, when, when this verse 21, when he's talking about becoming one, being one with the Father, being in him, like I'm in you, he's talking about eternal life and a relationship with God. Reuniting with the creator God who loved you and made you on purpose, for a purpose, now you can be right back with him. And Jesus sacrifices his son for this, so that we can be in heaven and be reunited with God for all eternity. That eternal life isn't just some notion of a long time from now after my dramatic fading away. It isn't then I get to start eternal life. I get to start it the second I say yes to God. The second I say yes to Jesus, I start in that path of eternal life. I'm reconnected. I am back one. I'm one in him. I'm with Jesus. I'm with God. I'm reunited with the Trinity. All I have to do is surrender control, which is really hard. But when you know how much God loves you, it's easier to be safe and surrender. Pastor Paul's talked about surrender. When we know we're loved, it's easy to crawl up in my dad's lap. Am I going to do that for a stranger? No, because I love my father and I know he's got good intentions. So this is what Jesus is talking about. And why does Jesus want us to believe? Of course, so we can become eternal. Become children of God and have eternal life. With all the benefits, the rights, the privileges, all those blessings that he prayed over. The joy, the peace that passes the understanding. The list goes on. And when I was looking at this, I was like, oh, you know, the list goes on. Well, why? Why does Jesus want this? It extends beyond ourselves. Jesus wants us to know that we are loved because he wants the world to know that they are loved. We individually and collectively as a church, we become irresistible. We become the safe lap of the Father for the world. When we meet people and we show them love and we show them grace and we serve them and we work beside them and we tell them about Jesus' love, but we show them kindness. We don't shy away from their problems and we step in the dirty, gross muck of their lives because my life was dirty and gross and full of muck before I knew Jesus. Sometimes it still is dirty and mucky and I need people to come alongside me. And that's how the world comes to know. So if God is so loving, you know, we spend so much time and energy fighting, resisting the idea of God's irresistible love. You know, it's real easy to be skeptical, especially in today's society. Well, if God loves everybody, then why does he punish his people? You know, remember that God of the Old Testament opened up the crack, 10,000 people died that day. They did something wrong. Oh, the guy accidentally touched the Ark of Covenant and he withered away and was dead. Oh, yeah, that's a loving guy. I want to crawl up in his lap. We spend a lot of time thinking these, these lies. But 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 tells us that God wishes none should perish, 
He doesn't want to judge wrongly anyone. He will, he will all stand before judgment someday, and God says, I want to see Jesus in you. I don't want to see you in you. I want you to accept Christ. Those who do the wicked, the evil things, those who choose not to believe, have made their choice, and they will be forever separated from God, and that's hell. And it breaks God's heart. Every one of us is a child of God, from the best of us to the worst of us. And don't you think it kills him to think of losing even one of his children? I think he mourns. I think he weeps that he'll never see those people again. And just as we're going to think about our, maybe our lost loved ones and we mourn that we may never see our child again, we may never see our cousin because they chose not to believe, how much more does God weep? And he weeps when we spend time lost in our pain and our anxiety, when we wander aimless, when we're lost, when we're hopeless, when we're alone, because we choose not to accept Jesus. So God wants the whole world to know. He wants everyone. And that's what we're supposed to show, the love of Christ, so that the world can see it, so the world can be saved. So we move on to verses 22 and 23. And verse 22 this was kind of confusing to me, really. I mean, it's like God talks about this glory all the time, and Jesus talks about this glory, and he says, well, what, what, what is he talking about, right? What is this honor and glory that Jesus wants to, to bestow upon us? Well, Jesus' prayers of blessing include God giving us believers the same honor, the exact same glory that God gave Jesus. So people say, oh, God's on an ego trip. No, he wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to have the exact same honor and glory. The moment we believe in God, God no longer sees the former you, the sinner, the hopeless old you. He sees the glory and splendor of his most beloved son, Jesus. He doesn't see your past mistakes. He doesn't see your failure. That list that we've got going on on our head, that tally that we keep track of, God doesn't see any of that. We talk about magic eraser, all right? It's gone. It no longer exists. It exists in our mind because, and the devil happily will recall that to us and wants us to live in shame and wants us to be ineffective. And God says, no, I've wiped that clean. It's gone. That's the glory. God is going to see the full brilliance, the shining light of Jesus' love in you. You and I become a new creation. We can come and sit at Jesus' feet. The result of being glorified in verse 23, you know, when you're on fire for God, radiating his love and following him, the world sees that. The world will see who you follow and will know how you love by the way that you act and the way that you shine for Jesus. God sees that. So you get that glory. You get that shining light. And, of course, the idea of glory also made me think about being a little kid. I've always been a daddy's girl. I'd come all grimy and gross and haven't been a nice little sinner all day, you know. And I'd ask my mama, hey, mama, can I have a treat before dinner? And I'd get that look, you know. You know, the look I deserved because I'd been a stinking little mess of a sinner all day. I'd been terrible. So I'd lay in wait. I knew that my best bet for a snack was my daddy. And I'd wait for him to get home from work. And I'd run over and I'd give him the best hug I had. And I'd turn on those little stinking puppy dog eyes. And pretty soon I was walking away with a popsicle. 
right? My daddy didn't see all the trouble I caused that day. He didn't, he probably wiped off some of my mud, but he didn't see the muddy little grimy kid that had been selfish and had been a turd. No, he saw his little girl that loved him, that welcomed him home. God doesn't see the dirty little grimy kid, right? He gets to see Jesus in you. He has so much more to offer you than just that popsicle. He wants that same loved fire excitement, that passionate relationship with us. He wants us to pray like Jesus does, asking to know him better, asking to understand him better, asking for us to be able to know God's love so that we can shine like Jesus. Now in verse 24, it tells us in our passage that Jesus asked for them, for us to be with him, both through his death, his resurrection, both in heaven and on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is our constant companion, our advocate before God, our guide. And Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't just want to be with us. He wants to be a part of us, as seen in verse 26, in order that with God and Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit as he enters into our hearts, in our minds. He wants to be in us. It's crazy to think about. But we become one, united with God and Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit as he enters your heart and into your mind as a believer. And the Holy Spirit allows us to see and to respond and to know God's love for us. You know, it's the Holy Spirit, God's power and Jesus' prayers that protect us from the enemy so that nothing on hell or on earth no power, no circumstance can separate us from the love of God. We can choose to walk away at any point. That's our free will. But we cannot, we cannot have God's love ever taken from us. We can't be separated from that. So what does the Savior of the world, knowing that his death is imminent? It's about 10 p.m. Jesus is going to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. At about 2 p.m., he'd be kissed on the cheek by his friend and betrayer Judas. He'll be tried in the middle of the night, around 5 a.m. at daybreak. He's questioned by Pilate. He's betrayed by his own people. He's tortured. He's stripped naked. Right? He's given his cross to carry down the road. He can't even make it. He's forced to carry our burden. And he's sacrificed about 9 a.m. He's put up on that cross and he dies at 3 p.m. So Jesus knew what he was, he knew what he was facing. He knew what was coming. And what are his final thoughts? His final thoughts are for his friends and his family. They're for you and for me. His final words are the traditional blessing prayed over the firstborn. That all mankind, for you and for me, because that is how much Jesus loves us. So now what? Right? How do you apply these, these uh, things that we've learned about in John 17? How do we use that in our everyday life? So that God's will will be done. So that when we pray that, we can really earnestly say, God, I want your will to be done. The funny, definitely not funny thing, is that our last words are not guaranteed. There is no guarantee that you're going to have that dramatic end scene with the slow fading out and the credits rolling. Right? We're not guaranteed. Only God knows when our, our last breath will be. So what does Jesus want you to do with the knowledge of his message today and the time that you have left here on earth? He wants you to experience the joy and the peace that comes from knowing the depth of God's love. Jesus wants you in boldness to pray for others in intercession. He wants you to remember those that, that don't yet know him and wants you to go tell them. 
your last breath, your prayers will never be wasted spent on other people. Those words will never go back void. So you can witness to your loved ones and to others. You can, you can be kind to those that God places in your path and put, show them the love that God has shown you. And just as Jesus prays in intercession, you should pray in intercession for others. Think of how that might change, not just your last words, but your next words. If that's the last chance you have to affect somebody's life, how should your words change? I know sometimes mine do, because I'm still sometimes that stinking little kid center, right? But in even bigger terms, right? Ripples of the pond. Think of how the world would change knowing how much Jesus loves them. God has an amazing love for them. And if people of the world could even get just the smallest nugget of how much God loves them, think of the joy and the peace that would bring. You've all heard that hurt people hurt people. Well, I like to think in the same token, loved people love people. Right? So we should see this as a difference. The world will see it as a difference and an encouragement that we can make. What difference that little bit of love and kindness that we share will do for our community, for our workspaces, for the classroom, for the places that we are in every day, for the, the same guy that shows up at the bar every single afternoon for lunch. How can you change his life being kind and loving to him? And then he maybe in turn will realize that he's loved and will love somebody else. We don't know the effects of what little goodness we have. Well, wrapping up in this service today, thinking not only about the Super Bowl, go Chiefs, we also know it's close to Valentine's Day. So husbands, boyfriends, this Wednesday, start shopping. She does not want a new toilet plunger or a vacuum. I guarantee you that, right? Go shopping now before everything is out. She doesn't want an 800-foot narwhal. Don't get it. Those big stuffed animals, no. And Valentine's Day also falls on Ash Wednesday this year. And Ash Wednesday is the beginning of our Lenten season where we spend time focusing on Jesus' journey to the cross. And today, I want you to think about what Jesus' Valentine would say to you, his Ash Wednesday Valentine. If you think of the whole Bible as a love story, where Jesus made the garden, God made the garden and walked with them, and then sin came. But God's been his the whole rest of, of history, coming back to his people, calling them back, saying, hey, I love you, come back to me, follow me. And these stupid, dirty sinners kept messing up and kept being stubborn. And he saved them again and again. And again, and again. You know, because that's how much God loves us. And after God spends thousands of years calling and leading his people, we get up to Jesus' birth and his ministry. We get up to this Lenten season. And we see the death on the cross and his triumph over evil for all time with his resurrection. This is a love story. And John 17, Jesus asked for God to help us to know that we know that we know that we know that God loves us. Jesus asked God to bring us back into oneness, to bring us into relationship with him. Jesus wants you to know his love so that we can have eternal life and all the benefits now and experience all those benefits of being with God. Jesus really is crazy about you. So to wrap up today, Geraldo is going to play for us a song. Crazy About You by Torn Wells. It's kind of a newer one on the radio. And this will be your benediction today. So when it's over, you're free to leave. Uh, the girls, I have some girls that will be posted outside the door with a Ash Wednesday little valentine for you and a little piece of candy uh, for, you know, putting up with me up here. 
And I want you to think about this Jesus' message, his Valentine Ash Wednesday message for you, that he really is crazy about every single one of you. So if you're a believer, I just want you to sit there. I want you to listen. I want you to make sure that you know that you know. I want you to remind yourself. And maybe if you're lacking a little fire and a little passion, maybe you need to ask God to rekindle that fire in you. Maybe you need to have your spark put back on. Right? And if you haven't chosen to believe, then maybe you just sit and listen and kind of absorb the words and know that there's even just the smallest possibility exists that God loves you that much. I want you to know that he is just as crazy about you as he is about me. Whether you believe, whether you don't believe, whether you've walked away, whether you grew up in religion and you missed the relationship, God loves you just as much as he does anybody here. There's no limit to his love like you have more and more kids and we say there's not a favorite. Well, there isn't a favorite with God. There, that really is a true statement. There is no favorite. Pastor Paul isn't his favorite just because he's Pastor Paul. You're his favorite just as much as Pastor Paul is. You're loved just as much as every single person in here. So I just want you to sit there and think about how crazy Jesus is about you. He's crazy about you.